You are listening to episode 20 of the Almost Sideways podcast. On part one of this episode, we review Sicario Day of the Soldado and recast The Truman Show. On part two, we have a power ranking of the greatest movies with a city in the title and a wild edition of our trivia game, complete with crazy movie reviews and some Seattle Mariners trivia. All this and more coming up on the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go. Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. This is all totally not getting cut out. Yes. We are go for launch. Welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast, everybody. This is episode 20. We have made it to 20. We're no longer a teenager. We can almost drink. Uh, once again, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joined with me are our co-hosts, Zach Saltz and Todd Plucknett. Uh, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. Uh, just celebrated my 30th birthday a couple days ago on the 4th. Uh, that was uh, interesting. Yes, Todd is the one that was born on the 4th of July, not Tom Cruise. And, uh, yes, celebrated 30th birthday. What's the annual tradition for your birthday? Because I think, I think the listeners need to hear this to understand a bit of your psyche, um, because it's a very important aspect to your character. Well, there is a barbecue at the parents' house and uh, ping pong and uh, drinking. And you've come one time. I did. Once. <laughs> Once. I bought uh, 15 uh, quarts of Mississippi mud for this occasion. Uh, that was uh, just barely enough. <laughs> yeah, it seemed a little light. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a. Uh, it was quite the. Uh, quite the day. Quite the day. Because you know, my impressions. You know, the one time I was there was that everyone just stops what they're doing and just hangs out in front of your house. It's like a block party. I mean, you really need, like, a police presence there. It, it gets really wild, you know? Well, it's actually well, it's moved no to the back the now. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the turnout is was is not been what it used to be, but uh, I don't know. That's too there's bad. still I mean... ping pong, now there's cornhole, and uh, definitely the hot dog eating contest to start the day, you know, true American style. I, I really like the block party feel of it, you know? I feel like Ice Cube should have been there or something, you know? Well, uh, thank you guys once again for listening to our podcast. Um, make sure that you like us and subscribe to us. Rate us, review us on iTunes. Uh, the more you guys do that, the more th um, we get uh, heard by more people. Uh, we get seen by more people. Uh, you can find us all over the internet, almostsideways.com, Almost Sideways on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, but right now, let's hop into what we're talking about today. And we're going to start with a movie review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. Over the last week or so, the three of us have all gone and seen the new Sicario movie. And that's what we're going to start with today. And I think I'm going to be the one that starts talking about this because I've seen it the most recently. I just caught this this afternoon. Uh, Sicario Day of the Soldado. It is a sequel of the, uh, of the first Sicario movie. Um, 
So this incarnation uh, no longer has Denis Villeneuve uh, at the helm. Instead, the director was Stefano Solima. And two main characters reprise their roles. We have uh, Matt Graverback, brought to us by Josh Brolin, and Alejandro, the merciless Alejandro, brought to us by Benicio Del Toro. Uh, the first film, I remember I loved it, but I... Uh, Honestly, it's been kind of forgettable. I've, I've, haven't, it hasn't stuck with me very well over the years. Uh, and this film, I wasn't too excited for for the, uh, for that reason. Um, this film follows um, Graver and Alejandro as they try to uh, start a war among the different drug cartels in Mexico. And when the plan goes south, they have to decide whether they are going to uh, cut bait and run or whether they go, they're going to finish what they started. Uh, I thought this film was... Uh, it kind of captured a similar feel to what the, the first one had. It's this uh, intense kind of thriller uh, as you follow around these guys who really play by their own rules yet are sanctioned by the government in this, at the same time. Uh, the uh, the music I thought was very uh, it added to the feel uh, a lot and I thought it was very touching at the end in the end credits it gives a uh, a uh, in remembrance to Johan Johansson uh, the the uh, former composer and collaborator of uh, Denis Villeneuve who uh, passed away recently um, but I I really enjoyed it I thought it was a it was a fun movie. Um, it kept me, uh, it kept me interested. It kept me guessing, kept me on the edge of my seat for the most part. And I'm giving it a solid three stars. What about you guys? It's sort of interesting. I, I sort of agree with Terry. I was a little surprised when they even announced a sequel to the first Sicario movie because, um, I, I don't know. It was, uh, it was a, it was supposed to be a, a real Oscar contender and it didn't get a lot of award attention, at least at the Academy Awards that year, but it was a pretty popular film and a well-reviewed film. Um, I kind of compare Day of the Soldado to like an NBA team. You know, we're in, we're in the helm of free agency right now, and like LeBron's a Laker, and you know, Sicario as a franchise is like the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's like lost all of its you know big stars. I mean, there's no more Denny Villeneuve, there's no more Roger Deakins, there's no more Emily Blunt, and there's no more Johan Johansson. So like, what's left? The expectations going into this movie were fairly minimal, especially with that subtitle Day of the Soldado, which really, really like reeks of like 1990s straight to DVD material. I mean, even the poster is like really kind of trashy. So going into the movie, I wasn't overly pumped for it, but we still have, fortunately, Benicio Del Toro and Joss Brolin. And, you know, the, the characters are basically the same as in the first movie. I mean, we still get excessive close-ups of Josh Brolin's sandals, you know, it's like a Tarantino movie, except, <laughs> you know, with the feet fetish. And then we get, you know, some nice supporting work by the girl from Transformers as this, you know, daughter of the Mexican cartel. And then Catherine Keener is in, in Matthew Modine are in very obligatory government bureaucracy roles. So um, I liked the movie for the most part. I think it's because my expectations were, were kind of low. I wasn't the world's biggest fan of the first Sicario movie. Um, I thought like the first 30 minutes of it were brilliant. I thought the the journey into Juarez was a brilliantly filmed sequence, but the film lost like track around midway through and I didn't really care for it. This movie was actually sort of similar. I thought it had a really good like opening premise and I kind of liked where it was going. But then it 
kind of starts not making sense. I mean, maybe I'm not like, you know, the world's smartest person. I, some, I You know, I have a policy like Denzel Washington, Philadelphia, you know, speak to me like I'm a six-year-old. I couldn't really tell you exactly all the details of this plot I was as, as I was watching it, but it was interesting. Um, I think uh, maybe a mild spoiler alert here, but the fact that Benicio Del Toro was somehow able to survive a shot to the face <laughs> was really unfair. I mean, that's where like, I was like, come on, man, you know, yeah, that was a surprising moment when it happened. I was like, oh my God, they finally got to Alejandro. And then he wakes up a la like, you know, the Terminator. Give me a break. That was, that was a, uh, a cheap move. And I really didn't like the last coda of one year later. However, we're talking the summer. We're talking like the Cleveland Cavaliers, very low expectations for this movie. It was entertaining. I liked the chases in it. I thought it had good, uh, quick pacing and good cinematography. So better than expected. Three stars, but nothing to write home about. And I really hated the last 30 minutes. Yeah, I think you guys honestly kind of liked it more than I did. I I thought they kind of missed the mark. I, I mean, I think Sheridan still writes a somewhat insightful screenplay, but you could really sense the lack of Villeneuve. Uh, I mean, they sacrificed, like, the Hitchcockian thriller elements of the first one and, and just for, like, gun battles and nihilistic turf wars and stuff like that. I didn't really find a lot of it all that interesting How what they were focusing on. And... I don't know. I could see a good movie like trying to get out, but and the two leads are pretty good at like chewing up the scenery and but I I, th- I think the movie's kind of tone deaf and I don't know. The the original I thought I mean I loved it was my number 3 of that year and it's like a really intense real life thriller but this one just was more of an action movie and I wasn't really buying it all that much. It almost it, it feels like a franchise now which I didn't never really would have expected going in. I mean it, it, it almost is episodic, and if it's going to do that, it, I think it needs to move to HBO. But, I mean, it is kind of refreshing for in the middle of the summer to have a, a franchise that's not just a comic book movie or something. And, I don't know. I don't know how many more movies Josh Brolin could be in this summer, too. Uh, <laughs> Seriously. He's, he's no in everything, which is kind of cool because I really like him, but, I mean, it's, it is a little ridiculous at this point. And, I don't know, Benicio currently gets a nomination for me, but I overall, uh, the movie was a letdown, and I, I give it two and a half stars. So, you, yeah. you didn't like it as much as we did, but it's not that far off. I mean, two and a half, three, it's right on that border range. I'll agree with Zach, I did not appreciate the ending very much. Um, it was it kind of lost control a little bit there, and it, I thought it copped out a little bit at the end. Um, one thing, though, that I thought was really interesting about it was how... Um, how relevant it is to to uh, today, uh, as one of the main topics of the uh, of the entire movie is border control with Mexico. And I thought that was kind of interesting how it it kind of tackled this topic head on when it's something that's such a a major topic in our politics today. Yeah, but it, it did it in a very like summer Hollywood movie. I oh, mean, it totally to did. It it didn't like make any political statements, but it also didn't shy away from it. Well, and that's that's one disappointing factor about the movie. I think the original Sicario was a very kind of cynical look at the role of the U.S. government in, um, you know, circumventing international treaties and accords and hiring, you know, this this rogue guy from the from the the world of it to mess everyone up. And I thought this movie was going to be a little bit more hard edged like that. Um, but it, it, it really wasn't. Also, Terry, I disagree about the music. I thought the music was really over the top and repetitive. I was like, come on. I, I keep hearing this theme in my head over and over again. It's like, the, it's like the Inception theme. It just never ended. It went on and on and on. 
And I also don't really understand why they ever had to take the girl back to Mexico in the first place, except for a plot contrivance. I think it was it was part of the original plan, and then when everything kind of went sour, they had everything changed, and they had to just kind of save their butts. You think Sheridan was like pressured to write this screenplay? Like the first one was like a surprise hit, so like they wanted him to make a sequel somehow, and he just did it. And he's just like, okay, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to direct it or produce it or anything. I'm just gonna give it to like this no name foreign director. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I was kind of thinking like it was more like um, maybe like Magic Mike XXL, you know, just giving it to sort of a, a younger director with, with a similar sort of vision for the for the franchise because stylistically it's it's similar to the original Sicario, but it kind of just lacks in, in the sort of edge. Well, I would have thought that Sheridan would have tried to direct it, especially since he obviously wants to get into that and he's got other movies coming out, but I don't know. I guess Wind River wasn't exactly a, a hit. It should have been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all like that movie. Yeah. I guess, really, it's just a victim of timing, because, like, if this movie had been released in September or October, I would lean much more toward what Todd says. And, you know, I don't know if you really take that into relevance when you're reviewing a movie or not, but if this had been, like, a legitimate Oscar contender, I mean, I would have been really disappointed. But the fact that this movie was released, like, last week of June, there's not a whole lot else coming out this weekend, uh, or last weekend, I should say, uh, to me, it was like it was never boring. It was really goofy um, and disappointing. Like Todd said, if you're viewing it as another installment in the franchise to see like where it's going. But at the same time, like I can't deny I was entertained. And now there are so many movies out that have that running length that I just get incredibly bored by. So I give it the benefit of the doubt. Well, let me ask you guys a question. It's something I was thinking about as I was watching it. Is this... Um is this a movie where you have to see the first installment to appreciate the second? Absolutely not. Yeah, not not, in, not with this movie. The, this, like I said, it, it's almost episodic. This one, it's just like another adventure of these two characters, essentially, and they're not even the main characters of the first one. In fact, it might even be better if you didn't see the original because one, it would taper your expectations, but two, another criticism I have of this movie is: don't the cartels know who Alejandro is at this point? Like, isn't you know, based off the events of the first movie, like, don't they have some recognition of who this guy is? This movie assumes that no one knows who Alejandro is, you know, that they've covered him up. But this is why this can't continue as a franchise. It's like this guy, you know, at this point, he's fairly a well-known rogue operative. He must be, unless the cartels are really stupid. But that's applying logic to this movie, and I don't think you're supposed to do that. <laughs> well, I would, I, I would disagree with you on that. I think, I think the way they play it, it doesn't really... It doesn't really say that they know who he is or or that they don't know who he is. I mean, um, but he, he assassinated the major cartel leader in the first movie like that. Word would have gotten around on that incident. <laughs> you're, you're right. But I mean, he he hides his face. And the only time he ever shows it is right before he takes somebody out. I mean, he he is known. He's just able to uh, he's not really dealing with people head on except for this one girl. Well, maybe we'll just all agree to disagree, but okay. agree agree that it's it's a good summer movie and uh, maybe not the most worthy successor to a, a, a successful first installment, but um, it has interesting components nonetheless. Yeah, if you're if you're looking for your your stereotypical summer blockbuster, this is not it. However, you can have a lot of fun with it, and if you're looking for you know this hardcore. Uh, 
uh, follow-up to the original. You're not going to find that in this either, but it is somewhere in between. Um, Zach and I give it three stars. Todd gives it two and a half. If you're interested in seeing the first one, if you didn't never caught it, um, it's currently streaming now on FX if you have, uh, if you have that channel. Um, and and, and uh, can, then you can see just, the second one. What? Just one piece of advice. Can Robert Rodriguez direct Sicario 3? That would be nice. And Danny Trejo in it. <laughs> I was going to say, Machete it would have to come into the picture if Robert Rodriguez yes. directed. Machete that would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> or you get the, the El Mariachi in there, too. Okay. Oh, there Antonio we go. Banderas. Now we're talking. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that is our that is our only main review for you guys today. We're gonna have some more movie reviews coming up a little later uh, a little later on. But right now we're gonna hop into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And our spotlight today is looking at a film that's celebrating uh, quite a significant anniversary this year, and that is. The Truman Show, celebrating its 20th anniversary. I can't believe 20 years since The Truman Show came out. And to honor The Truman Show, we are going to cast the remake. We are going to look at this film and see who would be playing all the major roles and quite minor roles in some cases uh, if, uh, if it were made today. And I know all three of us are huge fans of this movie Um I know, Zach, you were having some trouble casting this thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, how do you recast what is, uh, a, you know, a minor masterpiece at this point? I think everyone loves The Truman Show. It's hard to imagine anyone else in those roles. Perfectly cast. I agree. I agree. Um, and I thought it was it, it was always interesting that you had a film like this starring Jim Carrey, who was this comic master at the time, really taking on his first somewhat dramatic role and it's directed by a legend like Peter Weir. I always thought that was kind of interesting that he was the one that that brought Jim Carrey into a more uh, into a more dramatic setting. Uh, Todd, uh, you're a fan of the original movie, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's in my top 100 of all time. It's the best movie in 1998, and uh, yeah, it, it it is a difficult movie to recast because unless you're completely changing the tone, like it it you kind of can't get better than. Jim Carrey and Laura Linney. Well, and I think I think if you're if you're talking like highest war performances for for Jim Carrey, Truman Show has to be near the top of that list. Uh, just because just in how he's able to bring all the different aspects out in it. Anyways, uh, let's hop into our recasting of this. Uh, this is going to be uh, kind of a fun exercise, and you guys try and uh, play along as we go through. Think about who you would see in these in these roles if this movie were made today. Uh, we're going to start with the writer-director combination. And Todd, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, if The Truman Show were being made today, who would you pick as your writer-director? Well, in my uh, remake, it's going to be a little bit uh, darker and less uh, PG. So this is going to be written and directed by Jordan Peele. Ooh. Interesting. Interesting. I could see that. Yeah, Zach. I think he could. Oh, go ahead. He gives it a the of he would give it uh the a vibe that would uh that would fit, but it would also be uh something that he could make a point at the same time, which is obviously he's been really good at so far. Okay, 
Zach, how about you? Uh, my writer-directors are uh, different. I got uh, the remake written by Greg Daniels and Michael Schur and directed by Sean Baker. Okay. Now, I can tell you the reason why, but it makes me sound like an idiot. Well, I, I well thought, we all want to hear that then. <laughs> well, I remember reading somewhere that Sean Baker had done Greg the Bunny, and I thought Greg Daniels also did Greg the Bunny, but I just got the name Greg in my mind somehow. So, yeah. But I still like it. Okay. That's a that's good justification there. You'll see why later. Makes okay. sense later. All right. Uh, well, I was looking at it and trying to think of someone. I mean, Truman Show, it, it has some, some drama to it, but it also is kind of silly, too, and it's kind of writing that line of, of comedy, comedy and drama. And um, someone who has shown recently that they're able to do that masterfully um, is who I picked as my writer-director combo, and that is Adam McKay. Uh, started as an SNL writer, did a lot of goofy comedies with, uh, with Will Ferrell, but now he's an Oscar-winning screenwriter and an Oscar-nominated director for The Big Short. And I think he could bring a really interesting tone to it. And again, writing that line of, of the silly, but also making sure that it has that heart and has that, uh, that dramatic side to it as well. So we're on the same page, basically. Yeah. I think <laughs> we we chose, like, yeah, slightly different. <laughs> Okay, so Todd, who is your uh, who is your Truman Burbank? Uh, okay, so it's gonna be a little oddball, but I have Dave Franco because I think that he has that really wide-eyed exuberance that that Truman needs, and uh, he's not necessarily as talented as Jim Carrey, but he would give the movie a similar feel, but it, it would be like more like painfully funny and darker with him in a in Jordan Peele's movie. And uh, I could see that, like, fake-ass smile at him, like, standing in front of his house on Sea Haven Island and, like, and like giving the, you know, good afternoon, good evening, and good night with that, like, cheesy smile that only Dave Franco has that looks kind of like Jim Carrey's smile. And, I don't know, watching him piece everything together would be really entertaining. And, uh, I don't know, it'd, be, it'd push him further than he's <laughs> done before, but I, I think I, I would really like watch, watching Dave Franco as Truman. Okay. Zach. Yeah, I think we're we're on the same page in terms of that we need a comedic actor that is able to show a surprising amount of range and depth, but through a sort of comic veneer. He has to sort of keep it channeled and, and sort of uh, within. So um, I chose uh, Chris Pratt. I think the you know he's immensely talented, very popular, and I think he, he's able to convey a surprising amount of dramatic depth. Um, you know, don't judge him by the film he did with Jennifer Lawrence, but... Uh, you know, I've, I've been impressed with his interviews, and he's got great improvisation, and uh, he'd be good for the role. That would really uh, bump this movie up into a into a blockbuster if you put Chris Pratt in it. I I find it interesting seeing Chris Pratt directed by Sean Baker. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I you know the antics on that set would be pretty awesome. Love to be there. <laughs> Well, Terry, looking at Truman Show, though, I mean, it had a $60 million budget and it only made $125 million uh, U.S. So, I mean, it, I mean, this and this started the biggest box office star of the time, too, right? I mean, it wasn't exactly. a huge, That's it wasn't true. A huge blockbuster. Exactly. Anyway. Thank you, Todd. But it was also the first time he'd kind of deviated from what he'd, from Ace Ventura, The Mask, and all that stuff. 
Well, the Man in the Moon had come out the year before, though, right? Or was no Man in the Moon was the year after? Excuse me. Yeah. So yeah, this this set in motion uh, more dramatic roles. Yep. All right, um, my Truman Burbank, I think of the three of them that uh, that we're putting forth, probably is the most Jim Carrey like. And in some ways, I think that's good, and in some ways, I think that's bad because it could be too uh, compared, uh, too much of a comparison to the original. But uh, I think he would do a masterful job. And so my Truman Burbank is Bill Hader. Um, he's got a similar body type, um, and he he all the things that you guys said. He kind of has that that goofiness to him, um, that kind of wide eyed uh, naivete, but also. Uh, has can show a wide range of uh, of acting skills. So I'm going Bill Hader for my Truman. I can dig that. Yeah, I, I, I think we're all on similar uh, mindsets here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, next let's go to Meryl, Truman's wife, originally played by Laura Linney. Todd, who do you have taking on that role? Uh, so I went with Dave Franco's, uh, real life wife, Alison Brie. Uh, I think that, uh, she has the ability to play that like total phony and like act like everything's cool. And, but then also like flip out like she's, I mean, in community or glow or some of her other movies, she's really good at that kind of thing. And everything's made better when she's in it. And I think that'd be interesting if uh, she was playing with her husband. Okay. I like it. Uh, well, I originally went the same route as Todd. I was thinking about uh, Chris Pratt's real-life uh, wife, well, now ex-wife, uh, Anna Ferris. But uh, ultimately, I decided to go with Amy Poehler uh, because Amy Poehler is able to con- also convey that sort of annoying sense, but someone who's also, you know, committed to it, but in a sort of um, superficial way. And it would also be a great reuniting from Parks and Rec. And that's also why I have the writers of Parks and Rec. And now it makes sense. Bam! Ah, there you go. There you go. So as I was thinking about Meryl, um, I, I, it's it's kind of like that trophy wife idea that, I mean, she's she's the one that he was meant to be with. Uh, and, it, and Laura Linney in the original almost has at times like a Stepford Wives feel to her of how she's just over the top fake and plastic in how she portrays herself and so i i tried to go with someone that could that could do that uh well and have that that kind of classic uh look to her but also show that she's trying to be perfect um and i went with reese witherspoon as my uh as my meryl um and i think what's interesting about all of ours is it all all of our picks kind of depend on what age range we're kind of putting this in. So Todd's kind of going with like the late twenties. Um, Zach's going with like mid thirties. Is it mid thirties? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, that. they look, yeah. they, they look younger. I mean, Dave Franco's still playing a 20 something at times. And then I'm going with, uh, like early forties, like right around 40. So anyways, it's interesting how just the different picks change depending on uh, on what we're looking at. It's funny you say Stepford Wise because uh, that's Jordan Peele's like favorite movie and the basis for why he did Get Out. So, oh, uh, interesting. I actually kind of had that too. <laughs> nice, nice. I okay. can't see as Meryl as anything other than a blonde, though, Todd. 
I, I see, that was part of why I picked Reese Witherspoon, too. Laura Linney's not really blonde, is she? I mean, she is in that movie, but... Yes, she is. What movie is she not blonde in? Most. The Savages. You Can Count on Me. Love Actually. She's blonde in, like, every movie. I've never seen her not blonde. The Savages, she's not blonde. Uh, That may be, like, the one movie. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Alright, moving on. Our next... (laughs) Our next, uh... Our next role that we need to recast is Truman's best friend, Marlon. Uh, Truman's best friend, Marlon. Todd, who are you going to pick to replace uh, Noah Emmerich as Marlon? I always loved Noah Emmerich, especially in that role, but uh, so I went with one of my favorite character actors currently, and uh, he's the perfect right-hand man for uh, for like a, a buddy movie, and that's Lakeith Stanfield. Who oh, uh, nice. people would know? I mean, he is in Get Out and uh, Atlanta and such. I can I can just picture the scene with him and Dave Franco like hitting golf balls off that bridge and just being like, "I'd kill for a desk job," and like smack the ball. I, I can actually picture the scene happening. So, Lakeith Stanfield is my Marlin, and I think it's a perfect choice. That is a great choice. That's that a good a great one. choice. I almost picked that, but the rest of my cast is too old. <laughs> Zach. Well, originally I was going for a straight Parks and Rec list. I'll just be upfront and honest with you. And I was thinking, Aziz, I'm sorry, why not? But the more I was thinking about it, the perfect Marlon really has to be Jesse Plemons. I mean, who are we kidding? You know, he looks kind of like Noah Emmerich. He he can look in the camera and say, where did Truman go? And then they cut off the camera. I mean, you know, the guy could pull it off. So he's, he's a perfect best friend, too, along with, with, with Lakeith. That's, that's not a bad one. That's not a bad one. Yeah, um... Yeah. Plumman's is great in every supporting role. <laughs> he is, but but again, does the age match up? I mean, these are these are buddies from high school, and that, that was one of the things I struggled with. Is if I was going with a guy who was like forty for Truman, and like having his midlife crisis, what are how I need a Marlin that's around the same age? And I was looking it up. Like Keith Stanfield's in his mid twenties. He was going to be too young for me. And then I found the perfect, uh, the perfect Marlin. To go alongside Bill Hader, because Marlon is kind of this average Joe. He he's about as average as you come to kind of play off of uh, whatever Truman's doing, and so my Marlon is Mark Duplass, uh, who uh, <laughs> has done a lot of great things. Uh, most uh, people know him mainstream from the league. Uh, I think he is the ultimate average Joe, and I think he would do an awesome job as Marlon. Yeah, he does have that like slightly sarcastic edge to him that would really fit Marlon. I, I like that. Bill Hader, Reese Witherspoon, and Mark Duplass. That's kind of all over the place. It is. But it it would, my Adam I'm McKay. not saying it. it my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like a James L. Brooks movie forming or something. Yes. Like that. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, um, dude. So uh, let's go to uh, let's go to. Lauren slash Sylvia, who um, was originally played by Natasha uh, Macalone. I think I'm saying that right. Um, this is tr- uh, Truman's love interest that he's not allowed to have because that's not how the script goes. And uh, Todd, who do you have uh, uh, in this role? 
So this was kind of the hardest one to cast because I, I don't really think there's a whole lot that really stands out about her. You really only just need someone who can look innocent and have like one uh, sort of like uh, stirring scene near the end. So I went with a an actress who doesn't really do a whole lot of mainstream stuff. She's more like a, doing indie stuff and that's Riley Keough. I'm, I think that's how you say her name. It's uh, Elvis's granddaughter. I I, th- I think she would fit into this type of movie well, and she she plays that sort of like supporting female role a lot, just uh, not in bigger movies. So it'd be cool to see her in something like this. All right, Zach, who do you have? Yeah, this was the toughest role for me to recast because I can't imagine anyone other than that actress Natasha Mackle or whatever playing her. Um, the only real qualification I had is I felt like it shouldn't be someone American. Um, there's something sort of exotic and foreign and sort of cosmopolitan about uh, Lauren slash Sylvia. So uh, reluctantly, I went with Claire Foy, who's um, in the upcoming re- uh, installment of The Girl in the Dragon Tattoo series. Um, I think she's really talented in, in The Crown and I think could play that sort of exotic role really nicely and is in a similar uh, age as Chris Pratt. She's also in uh, in First Man, the new uh, the new Damien Chazelle movie coming out about yeah. Neil Armstrong. Absolutely, I'm super pumped about that one. Uh, yeah, that that's a good choice. Um, I think what's important about this one is she kind of has that look that just kind of um, that just kind of draws your attention. Um, so for this role, I kind of went. I went super curveball and I'm changing kind of uh, how this is going to be told because, I mean, if you're going to remake the Truman Show, it was done so perfectly the first time. Let's try and tell the story a little differently this time. And um, how can you update it to what our culture is now? So this role, I have Matthew Morrison in this role, who is uh, the most known as the uh, teacher from Glee. Um, and I thought it would be uh, really interesting to pull off this extra, this added level of um, of kind of it being the forbidden love instead of it just being, you know, this isn't how the script was written. But what if uh, what if Truman's love interest was a guy and then um, and he was forced instead to end up marrying this uh, this trophy wife instead? So um uh, Matthew Morrison, he's kind of a pretty boy, and he would uh, fit into this role of this guy who would catch someone's uh, so- someone's uh, gaze, and uh, and it would definitely change how this story would be told and make it something that's definitely more 2018. Sort of, but if they're making it like this idyllic society, I don't think that they would actually like put that as a potential risk on the on the set. But I don't know. It's an interesting thought, though. Well, and Bill Hader has played gay characters many times before, so I, I guess I'd be a little reluctant to go down the Stefan road, but if he's closeted, I, I don't know. It's a unique touch. I thought it would be interesting, and I had a tough time figuring out who to put in that role. I had, I, I had the idea of doing it, um, but I couldn't find the right person, and I think... Um, Matthew Morrison, I'm still not sold on that, but I I would love to see that that different curveball thrown into the mix of a of a new Truman Show. So what would his name be? Um, uh, Lawrence and oh, very, very, very um, very original. 
and <laughs> Sylvester. Uh, Sylvester. There we go. Lawrence and Sylvester. That's that'd be it. Larry and Sly. Perfect. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Moving on to uh, to the mastermind behind the entire Truman Show, and that is Kristoff. Um, originally brought to us by Ed Harris. Uh, Todd, what do you have for Kristoff? Okay, so I was um, uh, struggling with this one a bit, but uh, I eventually just realized that it's got to be played by Jordan Peele. Like, I know he said he's going to retire from acting, but he's got a few things coming out, so we're good on that. Uh, I could I could see this movie being like incredibly pointed, and I think it would be hard for him to like trust anyone else for the role. Uh, I think... He's, he can do something really dramatic if, if he's directing it and make it even more interesting. And I know that he'd be way too young. Like, he's only six years older than Dave Franco, but Ed Harris is only 11 years older than Jim Carrey, so he would have had to create the show when he was 11. So, whatever. So, insert Terry Hollywood age rant. Well, but see, the thing is, <laughs> Ed Harris looks ancient in The Truman Show. And, and although Jim Carrey is 36, he looks like he's 25. So I mean it 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 works in that in that case, but um, but yeah, thanks Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, Kristoff. Well, my first thought for Kristoff was uh, Kevin Spacey, but then later replaced by Christopher Plummer. Um, there you go. But <laughs> uh, maybe it's got to be Peter Simonashek, right? Oh, no. shut up, Todd! You steal my joke, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any new material except for that. We don't have any old man characters left. Um, but, you know, when you were talking about the age factor, I mean, why not Jim Carrey? I mean, if we're talking like the ultimate meta experience, you know, and he looks really old and, uh, you know, he could pull off the role well. Originally, I had uh, Nick Offerman written down, but I'm, I'm deviating. I'm, I'm going to pull an audible here and go Jim Carrey as Kristoff. All right. All right. I like that. Uh, I kind of went down a similar path. Um uh, because, and I'm picking someone else that was in the original movie. My Christoph is Paul Giamatti, uh, who was one of the uh, the Operation Control people um, in the original movie. He's kind of, he's in he's been promoted up to uh, up to running the whole show, and uh, so I've got Paul Giamatti. I know Todd and I were talking about this before the podcast started, and he just kind of threw it out there jokingly, but I had already picked him as as my guy because. If you have an opportunity to put Giamatti in a movie, you put Giamatti in a movie, right? Of course, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do one more character, and uh, and it is because of our love for him, we have to recast Operations Control Technician, uh, played by Paul Giamatti. Um, so, Todd, who's the new Giamatti? Uh, so in my movie, I I chose Christopher Marquette, and uh, he he doesn't do a whole lot of stuff, but he's he's like one of my favorite like under the radar random actors. He's he's in Alpha Dog, and he plays Eli in The Girl Next Door. He's really good at playing like a pushover type character, and that's exactly what he needs. He like other than like the couple times when he's calling Kristoff out for being like cold hearted or whatever, evil. So yeah, that Christopher Marquette I think would make a really interesting uh sort of sidekick computer nerd next to uh, my Jordan Peele's Kristoff. Okay. Zach, who do you got? Uh, it's hard to replace Paul Giamatti 
with anything. Originally, I thought just keeping Paul Giamatti, but just like 20 years later or something. But uh, I think we have to play the game here. And uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, Clint Howard because he looks great behind a computer screen <laughs> with thick rim glasses. It's reading like a quadruple failure. That can't happen. It's got to be instrumentation. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have that line in the movie somewhere. It has to. It has to. What about what, he, what about his part in uh, Austin Powers? Johnson. Yes, sir. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a good one, too. Um, so I have, I have three people, and I can't really decide. Well, my first thought for this... Um, it, just because I, I love I love him and I thought it'd be a great spot for him, Jake Johnson, who uh, was Nick from New Girl, I thought he'd be really good in this role. But then I realized it really would come down to two people, and maybe they could both like play him simultaneously or be like co people, and that is of course Patrick Fugit and Ma- Michael Ingarano, um, <laughs> the the yes. the William Millers. Um, I think they they should just split the role and they both play play this uh play this part we got we gotta have young william you have to have william miller in it you have to all right um so let's just say if this actually ever happens we would we would all be devastated because the original was so good and we don't want anything to be taken away from it but if it did um now you know who we think should be a part of the new one I feel like Todd's movie would be released in uh, November. Terry's movie would be released in March, and my movie would be released in July. Yeah, that's about right. I can see it. Yep. Yep. Or maybe switch ours because, like, Jordan Peele's last movie was released in what February? Yeah, but that's just the genius of Blumhouse and figuring out how to gap the market that's true <laughs> i don't think this would be blumhouse <laughs> me too big of a budget yeah okay so again play the game uh, um on your own see who uh see who you could see uh in those roles um in the in the remake of the truman show 